Welcome to Senior Living Visionaries, a podcast for senior living leaders who are looking to stay ahead of the curve in the industry. On this show, we feature leaders and innovators in senior living who are pushing the boundaries and creating new, effective services and solutions. And now, let's settle in as host Jennifer Drago connects us with today's guests. Welcome to Senior Living Visionaries, a podcast for senior living leaders who are looking to stay ahead of the curve in the industry. On this show, we feature leaders and innovators in senior living who are pushing the boundaries and creating new, effective services and solutions. And now, let's settle in as host Jennifer Drago connects us with today's guests. Hi, welcome to Senior Living Visionaries. We're broadcasting live from the Phoenix Business Radio X studio. And as we do always, we're showcasing the leaders and innovators in the field who are shaping the future of senior living. I'm your host, Jennifer Drago. I'm a strategy consultant and I'm CEO of Peak to Profit. Today, our guest is Christine Ferris-Wally from Holleran Consulting. And I'm so excited that Chris is with us today. She joined Hollering Consulting in May 2021 as president, and she brings her extensive experience in healthcare marketing, sales, communications, and operations to Hollerin. She's responsible for the operations, sales, and marketing at Hollerin, and she's focused on bringing strong relationships with clients, assuring that Hollerin is always providing relevant tools to achieve their survey goals. And we're going to talk a lot about the tools that they have available today. Prior to joining Hollerin, Chris was sales and marketing consultant for Tandem Senior Living Advisors, which is a parent company of Hollerin, and she created sales and marketing strategies that led to significant increases in sales and move-ins. And another thing that I really respect about Chris's background is that she was the director of marketing, sales, and communications for the Trinity Health PACE programs in Michigan where she was responsible for guiding 13 PACE programs in all stages of development. And I love the PACE model. We might have to have you on and have a whole nother discussion around PACE because I know you love it as well. (laughs) So, Chris, thanks so much for being with us today. Why don't you tell us in your own words about uh, what Holleran does? Sure. Thank you so much for having me, Jennifer. This is such a great opportunity. I look forward to our, our time together. So um, Hollerin is actually um, 32 plus years old, uh, and it was started uh, way back when by Michelle Hollerin, who is is still uh, with the company today. And the original focus was really just uh, on establishing a a baseline of satisfaction for employees and for um, residents in senior living. And of course, that went well for a while, but about eight years ago or so, they realized, the team realized that, you know, this is more about engagement. We really want them to, to, to reach those higher levels of self-actualization. So, so after a very long uh, history of surveys, you know, they, they pivoted from uh, satisfaction to engagement and satisfaction. And then we have this other side of the house that does community engagement needs, community health needs assessment. So using that research background and that uh, value of data to answer lots of questions, we have that side of the house as well. So between the two and then custom surveys that we do just to kind of answer those burning questions in senior living keeps us pretty busy. Wow. So all different types of research, which I love. And we want to dig in a little bit today because I'm 
dying to know what trends you're seeing in some of these things, especially after the pandemic, you know, what's changed, what's maybe the same. So you mentioned some of the key surveys that you do for senior living organizations, but I heard resident engagement, (laughs) employee engagement. Are there other types of surveys that you commonly do for senior living providers? Yeah. Yeah. And to your point, Jennifer, some of these did come out of COVID. In the midst of COVID, we did a COVID survey. So kind of helping, um, you know, senior living communities understand where their residents and employees were as far as that was concerned. One of the things I really liked that came out of this, and it had a lot to do with the workforce, was our well-being survey. That's like a quick 13-question survey that really digs deep into how employees are doing, how they feel their employers are helping and supporting them. And two of the things I really like about this survey is the, uh, there's two questions we ask. One is there are three biggest stressors in life. Mm-hmm. And when we did the pilot, which was, you know, over a thousand responses, the three were workload at work, household bills, and uh, personal mental health. And, and if that doesn't speak to what we've been hearing, you know, I don't know what does. Uh, so this survey can be attached to a, an engagement survey as an add-on, or it could do a, it can be a standalone survey. But um, I just find that the feedback that we've gotten uh, because of this survey has been so insightful. And I think employers have really learned a lot about where their needs are, where their employees' needs are. Yeah, I love that. Let's stay on that topic for a minute. Um, so you mentioned that during the pilot, the three biggest stressors were workload at work, household income, and then personal mental health. So this started in co- during COVID. And so have those three biggest stressors shifted? Have they pivoted since COVID? Or are they still they the same? Kind of, no, they've kind of stayed there. And the crazy thing is it kind of correlates with the other question we ask, which is what they look for when they're looking for a new job. Hmm. And, you know, you might always think that that's, oh, it's just salary. You know, they just want a great salary, but, you know, they do want flexibility. They want to be able to have that flexible, uh, either whether it's a schedule or the ability to remotely work or whatever, that kind of balances right up with the, the workload at work. Also, the household bills do relate to salary, but it might also be how they get paid. Mm-hmm. Maybe they want to get paid every week instead of every two weeks or something like that. So they can kind of budget better. It's just, it's amazing how the two just kind of connected. And, and of course, you know, mental health continues to be, you know, a challenge in our industry. Sure. Have you seen any of your clients with armed with this knowledge about what their employees, three biggest stressors are, have you seen them take different types of action that you thought were pretty inspirational or innovative around any of these items? Yeah. One of the ones that I talk about a lot of case study that came out of the survey was a community did this. And as you mentioned, just right in the height, it was somewhere in the middle of 21. And this community was doing everything right. They were working, you know, the leadership was working side by side with the employees. They were doing the gift cards and the food trucks and the party. You know, they thought that they were going to get a great response. And not only were their scores challenging, but when we dug into the comments, and I always think that there's just such an amazing amount of information that you get. It's kind of hard to get through. You have to have thick skin Mm -hmm. because you might not want to hear everything. But what they uncovered was that the employee assistance program they were using was not able to give appointments to to employees that were calling for help for months out. Oh my gosh. They were completely booked. And that's not something that you're going to answer on a survey. 
or that you might even be comfortable coming to your supervisor with, because of course, EAPs are supposed to be confidential, right? but they felt comfortable enough to share it on the comments. As soon as the community found out, they went to their board and they said, you know, what should we do? And the board said, absolutely fix it. Go find people. Contract with the, the, you know, the therapist down the road, find a college, find, you know, and get, get it done. Mm-hmm. So I thought that was really, really inspirational. And then, of course, we've seen other folks that are building more conducive restrooms or not restrooms, uh, break rooms, that, you know, where people can have quiet time. Mm-hmm. They are being a little more flexible and, and maybe maybe doing, a, you know, I had another community that came to me and said, we'd like to establish a bus route. Because we find that it's been hard for people. There's so much traffic and not everybody owns a car. We have these vans sitting outside. What if we did a stop along several bus routes? Can you figure out where people are that answered this question, that transportation was going to be difficult for them, where they're located, and we'll establish a plan to pick them up and bring them to work and take them back? Wow, those are really innovative. Right. Another one that comes to mind that I'm wondering if you've seen anything around, and it's it's something that I never got to do in any organization that I worked on worked in, but I thought it would have been fantastic, is when folks are struggling with household income and their bills, right? Lots of lots of people were never educated on, you know, kind of how you take care of your financial things at home, you know, how you budget, how you should manage your savings account, how much you should keep in a savings account for emergencies, those kinds of things. And so I've seen some employers offer financial university type classes or Dave Ramsey sponsored classes. Have you seen any of that come out of this as well? I've heard of it. Yes. Among our communities, not necessarily in relationship to this, but I've definitely heard doing a financial planning workshop or a budgeting workshop. Absolutely. I think that's been very, very prevalent and very responsive to what, you know, what we're hearing is happening in the, in the community. So I think that's a great, great yeah. uh, intervention as well. Yeah. And one last question on this, maybe I might think of others, but um, on the well-being survey, do, do providers generally do this year over year so they can kind of track if there's any improvement? That's a great question because we've only done this for about a year or so. So I don't know. Okay. you know, whether they'll pick it up again, it'd be nice because we could establish a baseline. And, and as with anything at, at Hollering, you know, if we get enough responses, we can even build a benchmark, you know, even though I feel like the responses are going to be very individualized per community, right? Because your, your community is your community. However, if we get a certain number of, of responses and survey uh, responses, we can establish a benchmark, but it wouldn't be nice to establish a baseline and see how, how things have improved year over year. I would, I would highly recommend that to our communities. Yes. And you mentioned this can be an add-on to existing employee engagement. Can it also be a standalone survey? Sure. Absolutely. It's a quick 13 question, you know, easy answers, very, very easily interpreted. And uh, yeah, it can go either way. Okay. So let's switch now to employee engagement surveys as a whole. And we all know our industry is struggling a bit with staffing shortages. We really want to improve our recruitment, improve our retention, of course, reduce turnover over time. So engagement is really important to us. What trends are you seeing in employee engagement and specifically since COVID? Yeah, so that's a great question. So when we look at our our benchmark, the the national benchmark, it's traditionally, it used to be a two-year look back. And with 2020 being a year where not a lot of folks were able to ask the opinions of their residents and employees, understandably, right? 
So in 2023, when we did our look back, it ended up being 20, 21, and 22. Good news, bad news. We now have three years of COVID data, which is not something we want to celebrate, but it is what it is. Versus prior to that, we had a 19, which was one of the best years overall for engagement in both residents and employees. So now we have three years of COVID. What we have seen on the positive side is while employee engagement really did suffer in 20 and 21, it is rebounding and it's doing better, which is really great. Our supervisors are saying that they more than more than year in the years past, they can see themselves in three years still being at the community, which is really great. Um, in addition, um, we're also seeing the number of we when we do an employee survey, we categorize folks in catalysts and advocates. So those are the, your cheerleaders. They're, they're pushing the agenda. They're really advocating for, for change or whatever administration wants. They're your, your go-getters, you know, the going over and above. That, that's called our orange zone. Then we have our blue zone folks. Those are your contributors, your endorsers. They're showing up. They're doing the job. Mm-hmm. They're not really going too much overboard, but they're certainly not rocking the boat. And then we have our green zone and that's our resistors. And the resistors are can sometimes be toxic. They could be very loud. They could really be rowing the boat in the opposite direction. So what the good news is, is that the number of catalysts, the folks that are are cheering on the organization has gone up. So hopefully they're seeing that change that they are looking for in their communities, that more support for mental health or flexibility, those things we talked about in the Mm -hmm. well-being study. And the resistors, the number of resistors has gone down. That's so fantastic. And again, I have to be very careful because I'm not a researcher and I tend to, I'm, I'm a marketer at heart, but I would hypothesize that maybe those resistors, the larger percentage of resistors have left. And maybe the ones that are there are there because they really do truly care about their jobs and their communities. And we know that the higher engagement that we have among employees, they're three times more likely to stay. Wow. So the higher, yeah, the more we can, and that goes conversely, the lower the more they are to leave, yeah. the more likely they are to leave. So those are really positive trends that you're seeing over since COVID. Now, how does the overall engagement, you said it was really good in 2019. How does it, your most recent survey compared to 2019, is it, are we back where we were or? No, no, we're down. We're no, still are, down. Are we, are we back where we were? That's Yeah. Okay. So I can tell you that one second. So we are not, we are not, but we're, but we're getting there. We're very close. We're very close. So let's say in 2019, we were about Mm 4.06 was our engagement mean. And in 2022, we're 3.97. Okay. So to your point, really close. Yeah. Not bad. Yeah. We're getting there. Yeah. And I have to believe that a lot of the things you said that, you know, we as employers have really tried to work on the flexible scheduling, the work from home options where it's possible with certain positions. I think that that has to add to work-life balance and overall engagement. And I've seen a lot of employers that have really focused on being connected to their employees. And I just did, uh, my last interview is with Denise Boudreaux from Drive, and she talked a lot about culture and, you know, what do employees want, number one, of their own personal values? What What do they want their employers to fulfill that are values to them? And it's respect. And it's easy things. It's, hi, Chris, how are you doing today? Is there anything I can help you with? I mean, it's just simple things like that. And I think, you know, not that we weren't getting the point before, but um, I'm just so happy to see that we're almost back to where we were before. 
Yeah, same, same. And to, to add on to that, you know, I think one of the areas that we do find that there's still opportunity in the employees, and not to say everything's solved, but, you know, we are making positive trends. That's um, for them to feel uh, valued for the work that they do. And one of the gaps that I saw a lot was, and, and this is, it just kind of makes sense to me, is seeing that future career path. Mm-hmm. Having that mentoring and that opportunity of, you know, thank you for coming to our organization. Here's how we see your future evolving. But really, again, hypothesizing that this was not able to be done because there just wasn't time yes. and, and, and ability to focus on that. It's not that they, we don't still want our employees to be vested and, and consider themselves long term and see a future for their career path. It was just hard to stop and take a minute and share that vision. It sure was. You sure was. And I'm so glad that now maybe we do have time because as a leader, that's the fun part of the job, right? I think is trying to help your people grow. And even if they end up outside your department or outside your organization, you know, the fact that you've helped them fulfill their dreams is pretty powerful, I think. Absolutely. So tell me about resident engagement and some of the same questions. You know, how did we fare through COVID and how are we coming out on the back end? Yeah, so this is an interesting trend. Again, 2019 was strong. 2020 was really high. And when you think about, oh my gosh, like what was going on, you know, back then, what was making them have that kind of a sentiment? There was a study we did um, a little bit after that um, with, I did this with um, Linkage, and we asked people uh, what their experiences were during COVID. And so many people just felt this immense sense of gratitude. And overall, we've learned that people felt safer mm-hmm. in life plan communities and senior living at, than they would have if they were alone in their homes. So we think that that's why 2020 was high. But then if we think about 21 and 22, that has dropped. But think about this. So so 21, maybe they were a little, and again, hypothesizing, just trying to take what I know and extrapolate maybe what might have been going on. 21, they were still very much lockdown, inhibited, not socializing, not doing what they want. And then maybe they've been, they were a little like, fatigued. Right, this is, this is not, yeah, really. <laughs> and, and not, this is not why I moved to senior living. I want to be with my friends. So it kind of dropped. 20 was good, was our highest. And since then it has fallen each year. Okay. And so 21 was lower and 22 is still. When we measure our resident engagement, we do four domains for that the voice domain, their ability for their voice to be heard. Do I have a forum? Mm -hmm. And even for my family, you know, as my family being heard, then we have connection. Do I feel my friends that I'm, that I'm connecting even with the employees and with my neighbors fulfillment? Am I living my best life? You know, self-actualizing, achieving my goals for living and then well-being, body, mind, spirit, you know, am I able to, to do the things I want to do and um, voice it really did almost, I, I'd say, kind of, v, I said it V-bounced a little bit because it was up and then it just fell again. But the one thing that has gone back up again is I would recommend this community to my friends or family. So again, going back to that, I really felt like I couldn't have survived had mm-hmm. I not, and I'm being used those words, I, I'm, I'm not ex- exaggerating. You know, I was safer, I was take, well taken care of. So maybe they would recommend Maybe everything's not perfect for them because they're saying, you know, from an engagement standpoint, I'm not quite where I was in 2020 mm-hmm. or in 2019 prior to COVID. But they're saying, um, 
I would tell my family and friends they they should be here. And 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 they always and they're the first ones to say, you know, God forbid it it should happen again. Yeah. And, and we all kind of feel that way too. So interesting trends there that their engagement's gone down, but then again, their definition of engagement has changed, right? Mm-hmm. So they've had to be engaged with a little less interaction. Some some of our communities, you know, are just opening dining, just really opening activities. And that's the minority, not necessarily mm-hmm. the majority. Many of them have been, been open for a while, but, you know, maybe they're learning to be engaged with, and it looks differently than yeah. it used to, Yeah, you know? Like Zoom, like we're on right now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I wish I was in Phoenix with you. <laughs> yeah, it's nice here right now. You know, it's interesting because take your research hat off and, and yeah. mark it with me for a second. But I was just yeah. at Leading Age Arizona and I heard Michael Marlowe talk about the black eye that senior living is still dealing with from COVID, right? We, you would have thought that we weren't the safe places that our residents are telling us that they felt safe in based on different stories in the media and, and gosh, horrible losses in, in certain communities for sure. But overall, the safety level and the amount of deaths compared to the general senior population living out in the community at large was much, much less. And what kind of campaign, it's not the sexiest thing, but I mean, we really should be touting all the successes that we had and why we're still a great option. And I think our residents themselves will be, to your point, our biggest ambassadors and cheerleaders in this. Absolutely. I think there's an amazing opportunity to to get those sound bites and to and to use them. We have a survey that we're we're launching called the Resident Experience Survey. And I'm using it as again, it's it's my my selfish uh, ambition to have a marketing survey, right? So so I can sell to marketers. But if you remember our marketing 101 concept of a market profile. Mm-hmm. So being able to create marketing that accurately reflects not just the the persona of the resident, but what the resident feels about their organization. Because we don't ever want to let our our reputation or our offerings be measured by a Google review. You know, mm-hmm. I, I don't want someone else telling my story, as they say, right? So I want to tell the story. So I, I'm encouraging senior living communities to take this survey so they can understand where what's on the minds of their residents and why they should market in congruency with the or you know to be congruent with the persona of the community someone's going to walk into your community and within minutes decide if not a couple minutes you know of their tour mm-hmm. i can see myself living here mm-hmm. i see people that seem to have the same persona as me hobbies things like that i i, I make a joke but it's really serious at uh, the community that i did work in was a very, um, a culture kind of steeped in Jewish faith and they loved culture and ethics and travel. And that was a wonderful thing. And if you walked into that community and that what you, that's what you liked, you would feel absolutely embraced. But if you liked bird watching and hiking and, uh, you know, other things, it would be pretty challenging for you to move into that community because you're not going to find a lot of people that would be able to go bird watching with you or to be able to go on a hike with you. So it seems simple, but seniors and their families are doing lots of research about this. And what do they want? They want a place that they can call home. So that's why this, I think this opportunity is a great thing. And, and to your point, you know, and then and then use that opportunity to pull those 
messages out, those testimonials that say, you know, they saved my life. I don't think I would have made it if I'd stayed in my house. I, I think everybody needs to live in a senior community when they blah, blah, blah. You know, I, I just think that that's a, a, a great asset to have. Great. They're, they're just gems. They're, they're, you know. Yeah, for sure. So the survey you just mentioned, creating kind of this resonant experience profile. I don't know if I, I um, is it yeah, no. under development? No, it's available. It's okay. available. Um, yeah. So it's, I'm actually going to um, be taking it on the road pretty soon. It's been available for a couple of months now. I think what we were finding there is again, like something very simple. One of the communities that did it for us, we inventory the activities that people like to do in a community and it helps them with their activity planning mm-hmm. and maybe their trips and things like that. But one of the things they loved was reading. They loved books and reading. And you would think that that's kind of a solo activity, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, they probably read in their homes, you know. But I asked the community, I said, so do you guys have a book club? And have you brought in guest authors to speak? And they're like, oh, my gosh, no, that's a great idea. You know, so what a wonderful opportunity to see that and then to be able to make it more of a group collaborative activity. Right. And then you have a prospective resident who you find out really likes to read and they can be introduced to the book club president. Yeah. Your residents are your best ambassadors, aren't they? I mean, I used to love when I was on a tour and the residents would come up and say, Oh, do you, you know, play this? Or do you like to, you know, we love these kinds of movies, you know, do you like Shirley Temple or whatever, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I think uh, you're absolutely right. What I love about what you just described in this um, session with Michael Marlowe, I don't know if you've ever heard him speak, but he does a lot of sales training and it was very impressive. And he's basically saying, you know, we have to stop doing all the things we've always been doing the way we've always been doing them. Right. So calls and tours and reach outs. And, you know, his message was really all about how to personalize the experience. And he called it resident experience also, but he said the resident experience starts before they're a resident. And it's de- and it's understanding everything that they're interested in and matching that with what you have to offer. And so how great if a community was able to take, you know, your survey, make a profile and really understand itself so that it would know how to market it. That's absolutely right. Absolutely right. Yeah. I mean, we used to practice that as well. Um, it was called something different, but it was about learning what mm-hmm. makes them tick. What are the demons? What's holding them back? Right. Because we all know there's something for some folks that, that just can't get them to pull the trigger and unraveling that and uncovering that and making it that that gesture or whatever it is that connects them to the community and that it makes them say, you know what, I am going to be OK. I can make this decision and my life will be better. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. Let's talk about another topic that you and I really connected on um, when we first met, and that is something that I bet many senior living communities may not be aware of, um, and that's community health needs assessments. And I became aware of community health needs assessments in the healthcare world, and we were required in our state and as a nonprofit to actually do those as a health system so that we could direct our resources and our planning to underserved needs, underserved services, and we could also identify where services existed so that we could connect them better together. So I know that you help communities do CHNAs. Are they predominantly on the hospital or health system side that you're working, or are you starting to work also with senior living providers on these? 
So we have done many, many, many CHNAs. And you're absolutely right, Jennifer. Those are for not-for-profit hospitals to help them keep their not-for-profit status. It's actually, you know, IRS reg. And it does help them identify opportunities and gaps in services. And so then when we saw the need for other entities to do this, we, you know, the name has been changed to either a community needs assessment for that side or a community engagement needs assessment. Um, recently, we have also found that this product is very applicable outside of our community, uh, our, our industry, for public health departments. Mm-hmm. There's a there's certification out there. And one of the first things they have to do is a community engagement needs assessment. So we have worked with a fair amount of folks that are either doing that because they have grant funding or, or you know, they um, they actually want uh, to do this for, for accreditation. But when it comes to life plan communities and senior living, we think that this is a wonderful opportunity for, for communities to look outside their walls, to be good stewards and good neighbors of their community and kind of do the same thing. See where there are opportunities to provide services, whether it's, um, you know, um, outside the walls kinds of things. I'm going to take my case management or I'm going to invite community members to come in and, and, and participate in our, then go to our swimming pool or, or community or lifelong learning or something like that. Um, but I think it's also opportunity to partner, to, to, to build valuable partnerships with community entities to jointly do something. You know, mm-hmm. when a hospital looks at their results of a CHNA, there's an opportunity there for mother and child health, mother and baby health, but they don't have maternity. Well, they're not going to pick that. Mm-hmm. But if there's, you know, an entity that can bring value and help them partner with that, they're going to pick, they can pick it. Same thing for a community, um, for a life plan community. If they see an opportunity where they can either partner or provide that service, it just their social, uh, you know, their social capital just is elevated. Not to mention the fact that obviously there's other two two other options. You might be hitting on prospective residents, right? That would have an opportunity to come see the community and see the value. And then even if people never ever have an opportunity or any interest in joining, they're going to be aging in place in the community forever, you've connected with them as well and you've given them services that they need. So I think that uh, for the life plan community, this study, it, it includes secondary data, which is like your census data that gets you your, your disease state and your housing opportunities, transportation issues, average income, your statistical data, but it also has primary data information. We can bring in key stakeholders and do a focus group or a survey and suddenly find out where the disparities are, where the opportunities are, where the gaps are. And then we can also do community surveys and get direct feedback from the people right in our backyard as to what they they can consider. And then by taking that information and kind of aggregating it all together, we can look at priorities and put together an implementation plan. We've also seen people do this for social accountability to think about where do we donate? Where do we put our money? Where do we where do we commit to our community where we're most impactful to make a difference? And yeah. then not to mention, I think advocacy also, to be able to take this data to your representatives who are advocating for change for your industry or your field or your you know lifestyle and say, look, this is where the need is. I just think that kind of survey is just so, so valuable. Yeah, I love that. In our area, we didn't 
commission our own community health needs assessment. When we when I last did this, this was at the time I was a chief strategy officer for a senior living organization. We reached out to the local hospitals and there were a couple hospital systems in our area and they were willing to share their most recent community health needs assessment. And then the other thing that was really interesting to me is our biggest city in the county that we are in our immediate area had done a CHNA. And theirs was really different. That was really truly a community needs assessment because it wasn't only around health. It was, you know, everything from food and transportation and homelessness and which all relate to health, of course. But we were able to kind of take those surveys and try to find the common threads and the common themes. It wasn't as meaningful, I think, as other processes that I've gone through, which mirror what you described where, you know, you actually are bringing people into a room and sharing the data and saying, okay, now what? What do we want to work on? And where are the partnerships we can pull together on this? Um, But it was a start. Had I stayed in that role a little bit longer, I think I would have advocated for doing our own for that very reason. But um, yeah, so I love how you describe the opportunities for senior living providers, because I really think to your point, it's augmenting your mission or amplifying your mission outside mm-hmm. your walls, right? We're all nonprofits. That doesn't mean that we're only serving our residents. Many providers and organizations have um, a plethora of home and community-based services, and maybe there's another opportunity out there that can be met, or maybe we can find a new way to connect to a prospective customer. And I love what you said about how we all know that there are many people in our community that never see themselves moving into our communities, but they change their minds sometimes. They may say, hey, I like it here. You know, I have to give a shout out to um, Jenna Kellerman. We were talking this morning. She's at uh, National, Leading Age National. And we were talking about this, Cena, and she, I have to give her credit. She said, I I see another value for this, Chris. And I said, what what is that? And Jenna's whole um, focus is workforce, workforce development. And she said, how about doing the Cena and taking the data and evaluating it from a recruitment and retention standpoint? What would it take for people to move here to take a job? Where are the gaps in our community that are preventing people? from coming. I met someone at Leading Age North Carolina a couple of weeks ago, and she said, yeah, we still have workforce issues because, you know, it's hard to get people to work in our town. And they, they, it was a more, you know, rural kind of remote area. And, and that makes so much sense. But rather than just saying, yeah, it's hard, you know, why don't we, why don't we look at the data and mm-hmm. build support systems? Maybe we need on-campus housing mm-hmm. for our staff. Maybe we need daycare. Maybe we need better transportation or transportation routes or whatever. So I just think that like anything, Jennifer, I want anybody who does a survey, I really, really want them to do something with the results, right? Mm -hmm. Please don't, please don't, you know, check the box and put it on the shelf and never really, you know, do anything with it. You're doing yourself a a huge disservice. Um, I think there's so much we can learn from these studies, whether it's like you said, marketing, whether it's you know, being a good, you know, servant leader. Oh, there's another thing. Can I mention another um, opportunity for these? Yeah, please. The AARP age-friendly communities, right? There's about 150. There's a a ton of them over in California. When they get the certification, I I actually went on the um, site and there's strategic plans that need to be made and they haven't been made yet. So what a wonderful opportunity 
to get the data you need to decide how you're going to, you know, implement whether it's grant money or whether it's just to continue to sustain that age-friendly community designation. Yeah. Wow. That's another fantastic opportunity I hadn't heard of. So thank you for sharing that. So if a senior living provider wanted to learn more about CHNAs, CENAs, or really anything that you do, I imagine you have that information all on your website. Do you have case studies on all these too? Yeah, we do have, we have some white papers. We have some great white papers, especially about uh, the correlations and observations in our benchmark, well-being. We have a culture culture uh, white paper as well. So yeah, you can give us a call or check us out. We have, our website is www.hollerinconsult.com and our phone number is 800-941-2168. We're just really open to anything. You know, if you, even if you have like a customer survey, something you just are always just very curious about learning more about, we'll do a customer survey and even a pulse survey. So that's a pulse, a pulse survey would be something that we would measure on an ongoing basis to see how something's changed. So let's say you took some, some action planning as a result of a survey that you did and you implemented it and you wanted to see how you're tracking and whether or not that was what they meant when they said they wanted the exterior of the building to look nicer, you know, and you did X, Y, Z. Maybe you missed the mark, maybe you're on the mark. So how great would it be to know that you're making an impact That's awesome. And you mentioned um, a couple of times, and I just want to make sure I understand and also that our audience does, a national benchmark survey. So when somebody, um, so how does that relate? Are there national benchmarks on all the different types of surveys you offer, employee engagement, resident engagement? So we have them by level of care. So we have an independent living benchmark, assisted living, skilled, and we have affordable housing as well. We also have discharge. We do discharge surveys as well. So overall, what we do when we give a report is we'll give you where your where your engagement mean is or whatever whatever aspect of the uh, survey we're mentioning, and how you compare to the Holler and benchmark. So the benchmark uh, right now, and uh, as we close twenty two, was uh, representing thirty six states, including DC and Canada. We had over six hundred and eight communities and close to one hundred and 62,000 surveys. Wow. So when we're showing you how you measure it's it's a typical bell curve so it's you know are you on the on the on the poorer side or you are a higher achiever I always say there's always opportunity. There's always opportunity for improvement and and celebration. And you know we did a lot of celebrating uh, some good information like you know the, the the community handled covid well or the communication during covid went well. Uh, so we, you know, we do see a balance, but it always is good for some some uh, communities to see how they're performing against their peers, mm-hmm. to see the benchmark, and to strive for something. Awesome, that's so great. Thank you for uh, for clarifying that for me. And Chris, so you told us how to get a hold of Hollerin. Um, if people want to connect with you, I think you're on LinkedIn. How would they connect with you? I don't know why. I guess it's Christine Wally. I don't, I'm not hundred percent sure. I know there's usually a URL that goes with that, but it's Christine Wally at Hollerin and I'd be happy to connect with anybody. Perfect. Thank you. We'll include all those connections and links in the show notes. So anybody that wants to follow up, will have that opportunity. But anything else you want to share with us? You're such a wealth of knowledge being that you work for a oh. research firm. I mean, I think you could probably <laughs> share things all day long. We covered so much. I guess just again, 
what my director of research always says is you can answer any question with research. So if there's something that you are looking to, to learn about or, you know, whether it's within your community or outside your walls, you know, give us a call. If there's something you're interested in as far as how you may compare, we're happy to share where our, our benchmark uh, indicators are. One thing I will, I will note, though, Jennifer, I don't take too much time about this, but overall, uh, Holleran prides ourselves in getting a very high response rate. We really help communities be very creative in getting responses from both their employees and their residents, including those methodologies, you know, not just surveying on online surveys. We have telephone surveys, written surveys, a QR code that they can scan with their phone. We want to meet your residents and your employees where you are, but traditionally, or not traditionally, this benchmark did reflect a drop in response rates. Mm. And that's concerning to us. Mm -hmm. And we, we don't want communities to take that lightly. And we'll continue to support and, and, and you know, engage them in, in getting those response rates up because it's really important that your, your residents and employees feel like this is meaningful, that this feedback has is important to you and that you're going to do something with it as a, as a community. So we want to get those response rates up as well. Yeah, so important. And I want to put one other plug in that just occurred to me as, as you were speaking. And this podcast is really about how do we kind of build the sustainability of our industry after, you know, the challenging time that we've had, the inflation, the staff shortages, you name it, right? We're <laughs> dealing with so many things. Our margins are tighter than ever. So if I was in a senior living provider today, I would want to know how can I do things better, quicker, more efficiently, and why not have research point you in the right direction, right? So if you're struggling with sales, if you're struggling with your resident experience or employee engagement, turnover, whatever it is, make sure that you have the right research to direct your efforts because we don't have any time to waste, yeah. right? So true. So true. <laughs> yeah. So true. I completely agree with you. Well, awesome. Well, Chris, I want to thank you so much. I've really enjoyed our talk today. And um, of course, we have so many common interests. It's uh, I could talk to you for hours, but I know you have a big job and important work to do. So um, I just want to thank you so much for being our guest today and, um, and for being here and sharing your wisdom. My pleasure. Such a great conversation. Thank you for having me. Hope we can do it again. You bet. So you've been listening to Senior Living Visionaries. I'm Jennifer Drago, your host, and please join us next time when we continue to interview and discuss the innovators, disruptors, and best practices in the senior living industry. You can also subscribe at SeniorLivingVisionaries.com or on your favorite podcast platform. We'll see you next time. You've been listening to the Senior Living Visionaries podcast and radio show, where we showcase the leaders and innovators in the industry who are pushing the boundaries and setting the stage for the future in senior living and services. Join us next time as we share the bold ideas and breakthroughs of the industry's most forward-thinking leaders here on Senior Living Visionaries. You've been listening to the Senior Living Visionaries podcast and radio show, where we showcase the leaders and innovators in the industry who are pushing the boundaries and setting the stage for the future in senior living and services. 
Join us next time as we share the bold ideas and breakthroughs of the industry's most forward-thinking leaders here on Senior Living Visionaries.